Welcome to the Sluffer Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Allen Nolan. Today, I am going to have a conversation with myself. So let's start talking. Welcome back. This is part two of Conversations with Myself with Daniel Allen Nolan. Daniel, welcome. Hello, thank you. On the last episode, we left off where you said your father was the one who actually divorced your mother. And you thought your mother was going for a money grab before the divorce. Uh, Yeah. Um, When my father passed away, I had to go through his estate. And in his office, he had, he, he, he was a hoarder. He collected and saved everything, including years in your probably 30 years worth of notes and um like he he would go to a restaurant and he would write down on the inside of a match cover the date the time who he was with what they had to eat and any notes on the conversation um so a lot of this information kind of came to light when i was you know uh, emptying out his estate and you know, included in those uh, in that collection was you know the divorce papers, um, notes my mother had written him, maybe during more of a highlight period of the marriage. There were some notes after the divorce and when she was going through a um, bout with pill addiction. So before we explore the correspondence between your mother and your father, I I would like to ask, do you hold these hoarding tendencies like your father? Oh, definitely. I've I've always been a pack rat, um, kind of you know just the the, the keeper of lots of uh, memorabilia, you know, like band flyers. You know, if somebody gave me a hair tie that's in a shoebox somewhere. You know, like I, I have boxes and boxes throughout moves and moves of just, you know, teenage um, trinkets and uh, whatnot. Give us an example of some of the things that you have in these boxes. There's a goose head that was off of a wine decanter that my mother really, really loved. And one night, my friend Kenny and I were, you know, she was. She was away with her boyfriend, and Kenny and I had a party at my house, and we got really, really wasted. And somehow the decanter was knocked over and shattered, except for the screw top, which is the shape of a you know uh, porcelain goose head. And he came running up the stairs yelling, "The spruce goose is dead! The spruce goose is dead!" And that kind of that kind of became like a inside joke with us. But I still have that goose head in a shoebox along with tons of other things. So tell me, what was some of the correspondence that you found uh, when you were going through your father's belongings? Uh, Lots of, like, there was a period of time after the divorce where they were being civil and my mother was living in a back carriage house in in Los Los Altos Hills. Um, It was... I don't even remember her moving there, uh, but my father one day 
got in touch with me and said that we had to go up to her house. He picked me up. We drove up there. And it's like a good 40, probably a good 45-minute drive from where I was living in Redwood City at the time. And we got to her her place, and um, she was just completely just drugged out, just um, kind of incoherent. And it was sort of eye-opening to where she really was at at that point and my father's concern. And I don't, I don't know if it was kind of a, I told you so moment or if it really was just out of, you know, this is, you know, time to stop doing drugs, kid, and, you know, deal with more adult matters. Did these notes give you any insight into the severity of your mother's uh, addiction? Uh, in hindsight, you know, like, you know, like 30 years later when I'm reading through these uh, letters, um, it became quite apparent that, you know, she she was basically just hiding all that from me and making light of it. Uh, so, but yeah, I mean, it's funny though, because there's some notes that were very, um, very sweet, you know, like she would, like, I guess while they were married, my, she would always leave notes in my father's lunch that would say, you know, have have a good day, honey, love you, smiley face. Um, but there were also also others that were very kind of kind of nasty and vicious about my probably my mother just lashing out, uh, trying to you know shame my father somehow for pointing out that she was the one with the problem. So what became of that situation? Did your father intervene or did she get help? No, no. She basically, uh, she was evicted from that spot and then she charmed her way in with a new boyfriend living with him and his kids. Uh, She was working at a car dealership at this point and I think he was one of the mechanics and um, I recently I just came across a big stack of photos uh, from that period of her life that I totally forgot about. But there's there's a set of photos from Christmas, and I was alone on Christmas, and then she invited me up to spend it with them at his house with his kids. And there's a photo of me sitting off to the side just looking completely miserable in a in a really bad like red Cosby sweater. And I remember that Christmas everybody was exchanging gifts except me. Like there was nothing for me on that Christmas. Um but last minute my mom handed me um a gold chain that was wrapped in newspaper, like no card. And I I kind of just came to the conclusion that she probably ended up stealing it from one of the kids, probably his daughter, his older daughter. And uh, just, you know, last ditch effort, Hail Mary gave me a Christmas gift. And it was just, it was a very thin uh, woman's gold chain. How did that moment make you feel? Uh, I mean, I wasn't surprised at that point. It was just kind of par for the course. Like she, you know, she already had like, a, you know, a worn out for writing uh, bad checks. Um, she skipped out on rent just, you know, moved in the middle of the night. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there was a sort of this, you know, she burned a lot of bridges uh, along the way. 
Uh, but there was there was a good, you know, there was an upswing at some point when she, you know, remarried, and you know she was a functioning alcoholic, and she you know kept a job, kept up appearances, um, and then after they after he left, that's when it kind of the spiral, you know, into the darker times with her. And was your father trying to help her at this point? Oh God, no, no. He, I think after, um, I think after the incident up at the house with the pills, he, he just kind of washed his hands to it. And, you know, there wasn't a whole, a lot of conversation after that. Um, even, even later on, like he never, I think out of respect for her being my mother, he never bad her and he you know never drug her name to the mud which I appreciated um but I, I could tell like the few times you know when he was getting closer to end of his life um he he made it very clear that um he had no faith in her when it came to like um reaching out to me or being honest with me what would you say was the absolute low point Oh, she, there was a point where she was um, just, she was MIA. Like I didn't hear from her for about seven months. And, um, and then she just showed up at my work one day with, with some other guy that she was, you know, living with, but they were living out of his, his camper behind a cab company. And, but when I, I got a call one day from a friend of hers and I asked her like where what has she been doing and she she told me that the my mother was living out of a storage unit you know like leaving in the morning and then coming back right before gates closed uh but like no electricity like you know basically you know relieving herself in a bucket but then she uh, made friends with this guy at the cab company down the street, and then it started living in his camper with her dog. Yeah, I it just the stories are kind of just endless. Where, you know, I got a call one day, you know, from a friend of hers from a long time ago, and he was uh, living out in Sacramento, and um, he was blind, and somehow she ended up living with him and helping him out but then I guess the bank called and told him that somebody was you know basically draining his account from the ATM every day so he got a hold of me and said come pick up your mother today or I'm calling the police and having her arrested you know so off I go and then it just you know when I brought her back I dumped her off at her ex-boyfriend's house the raging alcoholic and he he was just like what are you what are you doing here and I'm like I'm here to drop off my mother and he's just like what I'm like yeah she's your problem now she has nowhere to live and uh, I just I was like I'm I can't have her live with me and you know what there you go here you go buddy and I guess she stayed there one night and then he kicked her out and then she she ended up at my aunt's house which was 
previously my grandmother and grandfather's house, uh, but they moved, my aunt and uncle moved in. And my mom, I mean, it was a three-bedroom house, and they had plenty of room for her to stay there. So I talked to my aunt and said, you know, you need to let her stay here. She's at a ba- in a bad place, has nowhere to go, and it's your turn to help out because she's always helped you out. And uh, so she was staying there, but the three of them were alcoholics. So they would just every night, they would basically just get drunk and leave my grandmother, you know, who was blind in her bedroom just to kind of fend for herself. And so uh, this is another story, but I got a call one night and this is when my mother was living with my aunt, my uncle and my grandparents old house. And my aunt was saying, you need to come get your mother. She's out of control. She's drunk. And then my mom would get on the other line and saying, Danny, everything's fine. Your aunt's drunk, and she doesn't know what she's talking about. And then my aunt would scream, you need to come get her. She's out of control. And then my mom screamed, I'm living in a fucking tent. And I just, I was like, that's it. I'm coming over. So I I get in the car, and I go over there. It's like 1130 at night. And I bang on the door, and no one's answering. So I, I jump the fence uh, to get to the backyard, and I land on a tent, which apparently my mom was living in a tent. So, you know, this three bedroom house, two open bedrooms, and my mom is living in a tent in the backyard with the dog. And they're on the back porch, just drunk, passing a vodka bottle back and forth laughing. And uh, I just, I came back on the porch and I started screaming at my mother, just like, this is, you know, this is done. We're gonna get you help and you're gonna get your shit together. And my aunt was just laughing. And I remember just, pointing my finger at my aunt and I said, you're next. So it seemed like your mother and her sister were partner in crime. Oh yeah. They, you know, I I don't know. They, my, my uncle used to call them heckle and Jekyll, but, uh, yeah, it, it's a twisted relationship to say the least. So going back to when you said your father was a hoarder, I'm curious, do you feel you have the same behavioral tendencies as your mother and father are like are you afraid of becoming them at some point yeah I think about that all the time if not every day I see so much of myself and my mother and my father like my my father was a very generous and uh, caring human being and he had a lot of people that he took care of that became family to him and like they entrusted him like a son. And, you know, not to say that my mother wasn't caring or generous because my mother would take home strays. Like every so often, you know, at points when I was living with her, there would be someone new in the living room eating, you know, off a TV tray and she cooked them a home cooked meal. You know, just somebody that she, you know, either met through work or in the store or at the bar. Uh, So, yeah, there was always a cast of characters uh, that she kind of floated around with, but I, I definitely tend to worry that um, I could, I you know I could slip down my mother's path more so than my father's. My father was very responsible financially, and I'm I'm kind of I follow my mother's script when it's just, you know, if you have a hundred, you can spend ninety, and then the next day, hey, I got ten, I'll spend nine, and it just keeps going that way. Um, 
I think I'm a little better now, but yeah, I think about that all the time. Let's talk a little bit about your relationship with uh, addiction. Uh, well, from 15 to 19, I was just a garbage can, you know, of a teenager. Uh, it, I, you know, on Valentine's Day of nine of when was it 1986 um i just quit cold turkey it was like i was in the middle of a i just got broken up with i just got a new job and i just started living on a friend's couch um after being abandoned in a ex-boyfriend's my one of my mother's ex-boyfriend's garage you know like 50 miles away uh so i yeah, it got to a point where a lot of my friends started to um, experiment with like freebasing and heroin, and I started to see people die and get really messed up. So I kind of, I kind of made a decision that if you know if I'm going to be moving onward and upward, hopefully that I would have to make some major changes with that. Plus, also you know I just I saw what it started to do to my mother uh, my father was not a drinker I've, I probably only seen him actually take a sip of a drink maybe two times three at the most in my life so would you say that you don't have an addictive personality no no I, I wouldn't say that at all I know I have a very addictive personality um, not so much with drugs uh, after I after I went cold turkey uh, it was like 30 years of no substance, just drinking. Uh, but when I do drink, it seems like there's no switch. It's not like there's an on-off switch where I'm like, ah, I could stop at two, three beers. It's like, it seems like the minute I get one drink in me, that switch disappears off the wall and it's just, you know, drink after drink after drink. Um, so yeah, it, it takes, you know, a lot of conscious effort for me to really restrain um, so would you say that is primarily motivated maybe by your mother's alcoholism? I mean, that's part of it. I, I would say, you know, that's the example set. Um, but I also feel it was just more of, um, I just, I, I didn't have any desire anymore. You know, like, I mean, even now I just, there's times, well, you know, a little, you know, a couple too many beers and I'm. I'm beating myself up the next day. But I, to be honest, like there are mornings I wake up and I'm just like, you know what, today would be a good day to go to a bar by myself and just drink myself, you know, to, you know, just shit face. I don't know why I have that, um, that desire, but I, I don't act on that, luckily. What would you say scares you the most, Daniel? Oof, uh... Um, I think maybe just like, you know, getting to the end of your life and feeling like you just didn't make a difference or didn't, you know, aren't remembered. You know, it's not, it's not dying alone. I'm fine with that. It's, um, like maybe the, the whole sense of purpose of being here was just sort of, you know, kind of squandered or you know however you want to put that can you share some examples of the things that you're really proud of yeah of course I I mean the big one for me I think is 
I took care of my father when he was um, dying of cancer. So I was his caretaker. And I just, I feel like as a son, I stepped up to plate and did the best I could. But there's, you know, there's these little milestone moments where um, I was part of a, uh, an artist collective um, back in like 2003, 2000, between like 2002 and 2007, I believe. And um, I, I curated a photo show. It was a rock and roll photo show. And it was, you know, it was just one of those moments of like, wow, I, you know, I curated this and I came up with the concept and, and hustled everything together. And it was, just, it was a very successful, um, a very successful moment for me. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, what, what do you, what do you describe as proud? What about scholarships or sports? No, uh, no, high school dropout, took one year of college Spanish, uh, no bueno. And then, uh, no, I never, I wasn't, never got into sports. I was never, I was never that kid, like, you know, cracked out on video games or, um, you know, little league or putt putt golf, whatever, whatever they call those football teams. Um, so no, it was, it really was music. It just, you know, the, the camaraderie and experience of just being, uh, involved in the music scene at a young age, having friends, you know, just, you know, it's, it's a gang. So any regrets? Mm. No, I I don't. I, I think if it's not a regret, but I I just maybe I wish there was more time I could have spent um, understanding my relationship with my parents more. You know, like I I I, I wasted so much time. Uh, fighting a relationship with my father in my younger years you know that I had very little time before he passed away to try to repair which I I feel we we had we were in a good place especially toward the very end of his life when I was taking care of him but I always felt that there was just this you know this cloud of you know disappointment to sort of that dark cloud that just sort of sat above us um, and as, as for my mother, I mean, it's it's a heartbreak, really. It's just, you know, her her dying. It was, you know, everybody. A lot of people say like, oh, you you know, have you mourned the death of your mother? And it's like I, I had thirty plus years mourning that woman's death. Like when it when it happened, I did not, I did not have the breakdown. I just sort of had the the shoulder shrug, of you know, it was just a thousand paper cuts before that that led to her, um, when she passed away. But, uh, I mean, yeah, I, you know, you always look back at that and say, oh, I should have, or I could have done this. I could have, but it's just, you know what, you're just exactly where you need to be, you know, at that moment. Um, just do better moving forward. So what are the reminders that you are your parent's son? Um, like, for instance, this morning I, you know, I stood at my kitchen sink, standing in a little sliver of sunlight, 
feeling the warmth on my face and I must I must have just stood there for about 15 minutes silent listening to the hum of the refrigerator and just you know at the end of it just it was a reminder of like I used to watch my father do that all the time just just stand motionless at the uh, at the edge of his sink staring out a window um you know, as for my mother, it's just every time I spend something, I, I, every dollar I spend, I just think, ugh, I'm my mother. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, there's 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 some very sweet moments too of when I'm I'm just reminded of like I was very, very fortunate to have a, you know, a father who had a good heart and guided me, and then a a mother who encouraged me to you know just become the man that I am now um, without a lot of judgment or persuasion. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for that and, and both of them. So before we finish up this interview with yourself, um, are there any last words? Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess... No, I mean, who am I? Fuck if I know. Do you? Daniel, thank you. Thank you.